Herbie Bloor and I were teaching a course in Rogers Pass in the late 70s. There was, Dale Marino came up to do a dog demonstration in the parking lot of the old hotel. Hmm. So we dug a hole in the snowbank, the parking lot. We were going to put a guy in there. And uh, Dale looked around. He was looking for a volunteer. So there's all these sort of bush, hippie-looking folks hanging around. And he looks around. He says, does anybody like to volunteer? And this one guy sticks up his hand and starts running forward, this long-haired guy. And, and then Dale just turns to him. Of course, he's also trained in drug search. <laughs> Moments later, the parking lot was empty. <laughs> Pretty soon you'll be telling stories that can't be told. With me today is Chris Stetham. Chris spent the 70s overseeing the Avalanche program at Whistler, BC, and completing research projects for the National Research Council of Canada and Environment Canada. Uh, welcome to my podcast. How how did you how did you move? Like why did you leave Whistler? It was for opportunity of. Uh, of uh, business, you know, more excitement in the Rockies, uh, more depth or more of avalanches. No, when I when I was uh, in '79, at the end of '79, I was started to work elsewhere with my consulting company more and more and more. And right. most of that work at that time was in the interior ranges and the Rockies. And then I got involved with the Calgary Olympics. I was hired by Alberta Transportation in 1980. Mm. to set up uh, observation and then avalanche programs for the Kananaskis area, for the roads there, um, for the ski venues, that kind of thing. Mm. So I stayed there. And then I met somebody and I got married and I never came back. <laughs> how, did, how did you meet somebody? Oh, you met Sharon Wood, who was a very famous mountaineer. Uh, and had some kids, and uh, well, we we had met years before that. Actually. Oh, yeah, we had an avalanche course here, and I'm going to say it was 1978, in oh. the winter of 77, 78. Yeah, yeah. she would have been a and ski patroller or something. She, yeah, she yeah. was a patroller or something yeah. Yeah. somewhere. Yeah, and she came along with uh, three other ladies, and it was the first time that we had ever had women. In an avalanche course, mm -hmm. and we were perhaps a bit old school mm -hmm. in terms of perhaps uh, yeah. misogyny and mm -hmm. uh, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I had my standard slideshow prepared for a terrain talk, and then I, when I started it, I realized I was in trouble because I saw these three women sitting at the back, and of course, your I sense used, of humor was going to be my on sense the... of humor was not going to go over well. So I had a picture of. A, picture of a woman's breast. It was a beautiful picture, but I used it to describe terrain features. Convex <laughs> of course, slope, of course. Con concavity, yeah, yeah. Uh, good anchor, <laughs> all those types of things to describe the terrain. And there was just, there was dead silence in the room. The only guy who had the guts to laugh was Bob Bell when he saw the situation and he worked for Transport Canada. Oh my God. Everybody else in the room was dead silent because they knew I was in trouble. So then... They, she took a, a beacon in the field practice, uh -huh. and you know there's that road that comes down to the bottom of the blue chair, that mm -hmm. old road? Yeah, where the so, snow pit, snow plot yeah, was. above yeah. the old snow plot. Yeah. So they are all looking for beacons, and I'm, of course, telling them that they have to learn this, have to learn that. And they said, well, you find one. So she takes a beacon and hides it in a culvert which is right down at the bottom of that slope underneath the road. Mm -hmm. So I'm searching on the road and I'm <laughs> digging the road up everywhere and digging up the slope and I can't get a signal that's loud enough. Yeah, yeah. Finally, I see some footprints down at the bottom of the hill of somebody going into the culvert 
<laughs> and hiding the beacon on the beacon. So she was playing with you. She played with me. Well, but then we. For those who don't know, Sharon Wood uh, was the first woman to, to become an ACMG guide and the first woman in North America to climb Mount Everest in 1981. Six. And then she, yeah, and she's written a great book if you guys ever want to read a great book about it. And she and talks about that uh, particular slideshow. She does. Book. I, yes, she does. Yeah, and she also talks about about climbing Everest and, and listening to a, a cassette that Chris made for her. The best, uh, she says that, um, that establishing the new and loving relationship with her husband was the greatest accomplishment in her life. Like, come on. <laughs> well, I am her husband. Well, that you are you are his her husband. But of all of all your experiences, is there something that stands out as the most you know like? Mind-blowing, interesting. In terms of avalanches, gosh, there have been a lot of... Uh, You've investigated a lot of accidents, you yeah. know. Did, yeah, you, did true, you investigate true. that accident with the what, nine kids that got in, in Rogers Pass? That's correct, yeah. That was, that was devastating, eh? Yeah. There was I know that, that pass, and it's, you can't get out of there. No, that was, uh, that was awful. That was a tragedy. And then there was another accident a couple weeks later with seven people. Bad year, uh, yeah. Also in the Selkirk Mountains. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you you've had your share of court dates and and uh, expert witness and stuff like that in your oh yeah in your career. Yeah. You do a lot yeah. of that. Eh? Yeah. One of the uh, interesting ones for me as a young person was uh, doing the one at Alpine Meadows in California in the nineteen eighties. That was it. Was an eye opener. Yeah. Just the whole you know. The, well, they were experienced. I mean, they, they do avalanches, right? They were all experienced sure, people. You don't know 100%. Nobody they, ever knows 100%. So you can, anybody can get burned. I have spent, and I worked at this for 40 years, and I spent a lot of time trying to tell people, you too can get burnt. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of famous lines out there about... Uh, the avalanche doesn't know you're an expert. Yeah, those yeah. types of lines. Yeah, um, but it is truly the case that you doesn't matter who you, who you are, you're going to have a problem. I had uh, uh, things that I felt responsible for accidents uh, once, or maybe yeah, just once here at Whistler, you were involved on the North Face. You shot the gun, didn't you? I did. <laughs> and uh, then another one. Uh, yeah, I had another one in Golden in, in about. Uh, Sometime in the 1990s, with a, a group, school group, yeah. somebody stepped on a rock, facets came out on a windswept ridge, and down, down went a fellow. And anyway, I can't remember what the other one is. Right but, now, you, but they they found him. It wasn't a wasn't a death right I now. found. Him. You found him with a with a I just jumped on my back and slid down the hill with my skins above me, and uh-huh. then went down through the woods uh, to find him. And he was uh, in the woods. His, his ear was sticking out. Oh, he went through wow. the trees. Wow. But it was a guy who used to work here named Steve. Oh, yeah. He was a ski patroller. Steve, Steve uh, he's a dog handler now at Fernie? Yeah, he's in Fernie. Yeah, yeah. So he that's, moved to Fernie Steve, uh, I forget, his mom was a nurse here for years. Yeah. And uh, his sister was a dentist. Uh, and she uh, she lives here still. Through the trees with a beacon. I wondered and when I, I heard a noise and I uh, saw his ear sticking out. Oh, yeah. And uh, Wow. That's the mom. Lucky. Well, the same with me. I was lucky. And, and the blue boy who got rescued... Uh, Seven minutes under, which is a miracle. Yep. That was that was some some kind of day. The winter of 1974-75, or was it 75? No, 75-76. 
And we had two fellows come up from Snowbird to visit us on the patrol. And at that time, we were starting to do exchanges back and forth, uh, feeling out what was out there and seeing other people. And so these two guys came up. And uh, we had had a, not a big snowfall, but a very weird layer of... Uh, oh, grapple. Oh, yeah. And, uh, like a forms of the... Yeah. Uh, uh, Roundy, yeah, yeah, small ball bearings, ball bearings, like yeah, that. and it's anyway, the front usually that comes through with, with yeah. that. But yeah, so a bunch of factors added up uh, together to, mm. to cause that problem. One, I was shooting the gun and with time pressure, and the fact that we had these visitors, right? So you let yourself be pressured. Okay, mm -hmm. let's keep it going. Mm -hmm. Let's keep it going. Good, good so point. I one of the last shots I had was the North Face high, mm -hmm. and the clouds came. In. I fired the shot into the clouds. Blind. And it blind. Yeah. And, and uh, heard it go off. Cleared it. And yeah. you guys were waiting at the fence and away you went. Yeah. And then Schneidley, Joe Schnetzler, started to set a traverse higher than I've ever seen. Yeah. Across the bottom of the north face instead of out on the bench. On the where flats. The, yeah. the actual route went. Yeah. So he's up there and the clouds open up. And just after the clouds open up, I see the slope come down and you guys are all lined up across the slope. And I think there was, might have been five of you. And then all of a sudden there was two of you. <laughs> we were spaced out. <laughs> yeah, you were. You were spaced out, but when you but, look from across the valley, yeah. that's a big, wide slope. And I got, and I had my hands sticking out, so I was dug out right away, but I lost my equipment, and I was skied down on one ski, and, and uh, the bush rat, uh, John Hetherington, had, had used his transceiver to find the, the location. We dug with our hands because we didn't have any shovels or robes or anything for rescue gear in those days and uh it's an old story but no we, we did the avalanche control without that equipment in i know those days. i know in my early days without beacons yeah yeah exactly we that was the, the first year we had uh transceivers yeah we got the yeah, and that's how that's what saved them but seven minutes under the snow yeah. that was that was a, a miracle yeah. and uh and that was an inspiration for me. You're really inspired because you know the reality of it. You know, you said the company would probably support uh, Avalanche Dog program here as I went. I'll, have, I'll stick up my hand for that, and like you did with your Avalanche uh, stuff earlier, and uh, was supported totally by Franz Wilhelm. So it was really a good, a good situation. And look, up, look what's happened. It's grown all around, around the country. It's great. Franz was always uh, concerned about safety. Mm -hmm. He always supported safety. He would always send you off to courses. Uh, when I was first starting, he no, no holding back when it came to yeah. the safety training. Yeah. They sent me, sent me on many courses. That's for sure. Yeah. Those are, those are defining days for sure. Another, uh, fine defining one. I am going to jump around in time here, Sure, but here I am as a rookie ski patroller and I hiked to the peak with Hugh Smythe, John Garrity, so we go up, and, and in those days, of course, with no peak chair, and, and we would do the control routes by hiking up the ridge, Little Whistler, and around the bowls and to the peak. So we went up to the peak, and we went to hand charge the uh, Whistler Roll. And in those days, Whistler Bowl had quite a large it was a big flat chunk spot. ice in it. It's a big yeah. flat spot. Yeah. So the top of, of Whistler Roll, as mm -hmm. you as you started to ski into it, was mm -hmm. a long flat that was mm -hmm. probably fifty. 60 feet long, and then it slowly tapered off into a steeper slope, or not, slowly steepened and fell away, and then bang, this, the, uh, at that time it was about a 35 or 40 degree slope. Mm -hmm. And so they're standing at the top, I'm standing there with a the hand charge in my hand, and he, he says, uh, go down there, 
Oh, yeah. And throw a hand charge over the edge. So I go down to the edge. You said Descarity or Smythe? Uh, I think it was Smythe. Yeah. Well, it might have been Turner. I don't know. One of them said, yeah. uh, go through the hand charge. Yeah, and you're the just the rookie. So, so you I go have down. to get down. And I think Garrity came with me. Mm-hmm. I think he's sort of, you know, nearby, following mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. I go down and I throw the hand charge. And then we're thing would be prudent, we move back up on the flats. Mm-hmm. So the hand charge went off down on the slope and it triggered a monster right down to the ice. You know, when you kind of get a slab that's deep enough that it's blue, like a crevasse between the like blocks. A real glacier, yeah. down the hill. <laughs> so, uh, so at this point, Did it suck Garrett, back? Oh yeah, Garrity and I are running sideways. It sucked back almost the whole flat. So Garrity and I are running sideways with a jigsaw puzzle breaking around us. And we got it. We eventually got above. Obviously, yeah. got above it. But how it deep? A, how deep a fracture? Was about two, two, two and a half meters. Whoa! <laughs> oh, there, there's stories from the seventies you could tell forever. Two winners that you should remember from the seventies are seventy six, seventy seven, when we had all the ice crusts and facets between the ice world's crusts. worst winter. Yeah, W-W- right. we were closed. Yeah, we, the skiery actually closed for three weeks in January, mm-hmm. and there was only four of us, I think, who kept working. And there was a snowcat up there. Jamie Tattersall was driving the snowcat, and Bert uh, Mesless Mel- was, was uh, yeah. doing the mechanicing. And then there was four of us patrollers. We'd use the snowcat and go up and down the ridge run and set courses. <laughs> and, then, and so when the cat drivers and mechanics wanted to ski down the course. We'd drive the cat. That was my first cat driving experience. I'm no kidding, eh? You were the only guys that were skiing in the whole valley. <laughs> yeah, no, we were closed the whole time. It was sunny. It was nice. I know. You know, yeah. above uh, yeah. above the top of the red chair, it was great ski. Yeah, yeah. It was just the bottom was missing. And was that the year that the Goat Skelly and, and the, we had the World Cup and the Goat Skelly came out and No, insanity? that was 78, 79, I oh, believe. Okay. That was the depth horde year. Yeah. And uh, we had had really poor... Snowfall in the in the fall, cold weather, cold weather through the early winter, and then it started to snow in uh, February. Really, uh, there was a little bit of snow in January, and then a lot of snow. And in then February. we had that World Cup race in March. It was early March, right? That's right. And uh, yeah, it went to the ground. Yeah, and yeah. that was interesting because I lived in a house with a tin roof on the west side in Wilbury Lodge. Wilbury. And the I could I was woken up by the rain drumming on the roof. And uh, I realized that this this was not good. And it was four o'clock in the morning. So I phoned Harvey Fellows, who lived at Midstation. I got him to run me up the lift in the dark and to go out and poke around and see what was going on. And then he ran me up to the top mm-hmm. on the red chair. Mm-hmm. And I came back down and realized that the whole world was falling apart. And the, the, what, the reason being that the depth hoar, all the snow above it and the depth hoar had gotten wet. Yeah. Except at the top of the mountain. Yeah. So from maybe two or three towers below the top of the red chair. So everybody had to stay at mid. Yeah. You wouldn't let anybody up. And I remember we're all standing on the the, the deck of the red chair. And I I don't know who threw the bomb, but somebody went up orange chair. It was Bernie Bernie. and uh, Rob Burgess. Oh, right. And they threw a bomb in Goatskully off the chair. And they were gone before, they were gone. before it went off. And then it went down, and, and it came right into the right into mid station. There was right. there was some of those guys from Europe running out the other side. They thought we were going to get totally well, wiped you, out. You got to back it up an hour or two because when I finished this session with Harvey in the early visit, I phoned the managers 
and I think it might have been Ron Johnson I talked to at the time, and said, you can't open the lift. Yeah. Because this the depth tour is wet. So of course, bad. nobody knew what the hell I was talking about. But uh, mm. I insisted, and the race people said, yeah, this no, is we're World just Cup. going up. We're going up. It's exactly. the World Cup. Yeah. So they came up, and they got off the gondola, and then they said, hell, we're going to walk up to up to the downhill course. Right. So a bunch of them were walking from the, from Which, the uh, top of the gondola yeah. up into Pony the trail. toilet bowl. Yeah. Oh, that way. To up get the into the toilet bowl. Oh, yeah. So they're, they're walking across below Goat's Gully. Yeah. When the bomb goes off and the avalanche comes down Goat's Gully, and then there's all these little Euros running, <laughs> and a couple of them jump out the front of the gondola barn. Yeah. And it was wet, deep poop from the wet depth core. And these yeah. two guys were just sort of wiggling in the snow <laughs> outside the gondola barn door. And everybody went down. Yeah. And then Franz came up, who ran the company at the time. And you, I believe, and a, and a couple other guys were making bombs on, on the, the deck of the red chair load. Yeah. And Franz walked up. And I was on the phone talking to, uh, <laughs> I, I think I maybe even been fired by that point or something. But I was trying to talk my way into Back into my job, and yeah. Franz walked by, and he looked out at the big avalanche deposit right there in the in the load area. Yeah, yeah. And just said, "I never would have believed it." Yeah. Carry on. He got around, went back down the gondola. And credibility. Said, you all of a sudden you had credibility. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a big memory for me too. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Nobody got hurt, but it wasn't a World Cup. Well, and that, the, the uh, other part of that was uh, before that, in February, when we'd had a snowfall in the Alpine, and of course the Deptor was everywhere. Deptor is a type of snow crystal. It uh, it uh, forms when there's a very thin snowpack, and there's a large temper, temperature differential between the ground and the surface, and that drives a process of growth. Rather than the snow kept snowpack breaking down, it actually grows bigger Fingers. at the bottom. So it gets large crystals and it gets very deep. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but we got I got somebody from Gun One to fire a shot. I think it was from Gun One. Maybe it was Gun Two. Franz's Meadow gun. Yeah, and fire a shot up to see what was gonna what was gonna happen because we were pretty sure the whole world was gonna fall down. We had about forty centimeters of snow on this depth car. Uh -huh. So I went and got my lunch, and I went out and sat on a rock. Um, near the bottom of T-bar 1, or T-bar 2, and said to the guys, okay, fire. He pulled the trigger, one shot went in, and it took out uh, Glacier Cirque, the Kuwar, Surprise, and uh, it shale. didn't, not the Shell Key, you know, it stopped uh -huh. by the Shell, but it took out the rest of it. And then the next shot, the whole damn took ball. out the Shell Slope, wow. Shell Key, and all that stuff going over. And then it kept going. We took out all the stuff along uh, above the, the old gun and, one and, there. What's and, that called? Uh, uh, Franz's you know, there's a jumper, upper front. jumps off now. Uh, well, it's uh, Air Jordan. Air Jordan. Yeah. So that whole ridge yeah. Yeah. Uh, came as well. Yeah. With with the various shots there. Wow! It was with one little with one little two pound well, shot out of the avalanche. First, uh, yeah, yeah, which took out most of the bowl. Yeah, but that would have been from gun two. That shot. No, no. I think I think I'm not sure about this. You'd have to talk. Maybe to it hit the rocks on the peak or something, eh? No, no, I don't think it hit. It was a rock shot. It was just no. horrendously 
unstable. unstable. <laughs> and for whatever reason, from wherever they shot it. Yeah. You're lucky you didn't get smoked there having your lunch. No, no, I was up the other side. Up on sitting the on a rock. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so near the bottom of that slope <laughs> sitting on a rock. But it was quite something to watch. Wow. Watch yeah. the propagation. Yeah. And then you went home and told Benji, and he came out and filmed a lot of those huge avalanches, which he did. Thank God we've got on, on, on film. Well, he filmed them starting in 76, 77. So he got that, the, the crust problems, he got the giant avalanche in Whistler Bowl. Mm -hmm. Shale Slope and uh, Little Whistler. Little Whistler, the big long propagation on Little Whistler. Yeah. He got yeah. that as well. Yeah. And those all ran to the ice on the depth hook. Yeah. Interestingly enough, a few years before I'd been told by some someone who had a limited knowledge, but some ideas that depth hook wouldn't form on glaciers. And that year, you could stick your leg in underneath the snowpack where the depth tour was and yeah. just wiggle it. Yeah. It was just completely loose. Wow. Thank you for listening today. Whistler stories that need to be told. Please share and let me know what you think of my podcast. It's just mind-boggling.